Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm, ex- I'm extremely excited to be with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm the pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it is my distinct honor and privilege this morning to bring forth the word to you all. If you haven't been with us, uh, we've been in this series called Church Close. Church, are you with me this morning? Can you say Church Close? See, I, we're, we're acknowledging right now in this season, we're actually saying out loud into the microphone with song, with our bodies, with our, with our lives, um, that we acknowledge that there's a battle going on, that there's a war outside, that people are losing their lives, both in the physical and in the spiritual. There's a lot going on. And what we're discovering in the scripture through this series is that according to God, when you're going through battle, it matters very deeply what you're wearing. But as we talked last week, you can have all the right gear, but that don't mean you can hoop. And so what we're clearly not talking about is what we are wearing in the physical But rather, it is a spiritual armor that God encourages us to to take up. As we've been walking through Ephesians 6, one single verse at a time, we've walked through the fact that the Lord does not leave us abandoned as orphans, but rather he allows us to rely on his strength. As a matter of fact, he calls on us to do so, right? He He says, you're not going to make it against this spiritual supernatural opponent if you don't call on, rely on, and take on my strength. We talked about what our enemy is like, right? That it is not actually flesh and blood, that despite the common narrative that, um, that, that we buy into with our daily lives, our enemy is not our boss. Our enemy is not the people in positions of power above us. Our enemy is not the neighbor that won't leave us alone. Our enemy is not our family members that have hurt us. Our enemy is a spiritual one. It's a supernatural one, and it's not going to fight fair. And so in order to be able to do what this passage says, which is to stand firm in this battle, We need some equipment. We need a spiritual armor to take on. We've talked about we've talked about the belt of truth. Last week, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And now this week we get to go one more verse further. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians. It's towards the back. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, We're going to go to the sixth chapter, which is the very end, and we're going to go, we're going to start in the 10th verse, and this week we're going to go one more verse further into verse 15. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and here we go, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. One more time, our verse of emphasis this morning, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I would also like to submit that verse said in the CSB. It says, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. There's a phrase Uh, There's a phrase we use in this gym specifically, um, but in gyms all around the world while you're playing the game of basketball uh, that you never want to hear. I love you all so much that I pray that you never hear the phrase that I'm about to say said about you. You literally said it. Getting shook out your shoes. Because listen, let me tell you. The Lord, and only the Lord can bring you back from a great many things. But even he sees you get shook out your shoes, and he's like, I don't know about that. You cannot, you cannot, under any circumstance, and I pray it not be unto you, that you be shooketh out your shoes. Now, some of you are looking at me and you're like, I know we meet in the gym and all that, but like, can you, can you help me with the sports metaphors? Yes, let me explain it to you. Getting shook out your shoes is when you as the defender take a posture, you take a position guarding the person with the ball, right? And as you guard the person with the ball and they begin to d- dribble in one direction, you ought to move your feet and slide in that direction. But then sometimes what some people who have no regard for your human life will do is as they dribble in one direction, getting you to lean that way, they will very quickly make a sudden move in an opposite direction where your feet want to get over there, but the momentum of your body says, nah, fam, this ain't your day. And you fall on your bottom or on your back and the entire gym explodes. Oh, people are jumping out the stands. They're leaving the bleachers. People have stopped playing the game. It doesn't even matter if that dude goes in and scores. Everybody else is just like, yep, I'm done. I quit. I can't with this guy. And it's over. And this, you have to leave. You just have to leave. It's bad. You get shook out your shoes. And what's required of you to not get shaken out of your shoes is said very simply, but much more difficult to do, right? You need, first of all, a firm stance, right? You need firm footing. You need to be strong, not wobbly, like, I don't know which way he's going to go, and then you just go back. You need to be firm in your stance. You need good balance to keep you ready. You can't be cheating one way or leaning the other, because if you do, that person will shake you out your shoes. And then the third thing you need is an appropriate response, because sometimes your brain can see it coming, but sometimes when you're old or like me, your body just doesn't quite respond appropriately, even though you saw it coming from a mile away. You need a firm stance. 
good balance to keep you ready and the appropriate response. Pastor, you're too excited. Where are you going with this? Let me tell you, I believe that similarly to as I just expressed it to you, the Apostle Paul is sick and tired of watching his people get shook out of their shoes. Now, I'm very well aware that James Naismith did not invent the game of basketball until thousands of years after this text was written. So what we're talking about, similar to this armor, is much more in the spiritual. What I mean to say is that the Apostle Paul was sick of watching people proclaim the name of Jesus, say that they're a believer, be proud and bold in their proclamations, but then as soon as the real world hits them in the face, they fall. He was tired of the believers not being ready for which way the enemy was going to move. And then being shaken in their very foundation because it was unexpected or because they responded incorrectly or because their life was off balance. This spiritual battle is going to take you through some stuff. Yes, sir. You're going to see some things. And what's required to be able to withstand the spiritual battle is a firm stance. Good balance to keep you ready. And the appropriate reaction. I want to break this passage this morning down in how many parts? Yeah, you already knew. The first of which is this, sandal your feet. Now, we don't really talk like that anymore. We might say something more like, lace them up, right? Church, are you still with me? Can you say, lace them up? Lace them up. up. The idea being, I don't want you to just put on any shoes. I need you to put on shoes that going to have you ready. See, Uh, I'm going to let that go. So what is in the Apostle Paul's mind, sometimes you just got to be discerning things like, Lord, is that you or is that me just getting excited? Okay, all right, all right. So what's in the Apostle Paul's mind, I imagine as he's carrying on this military and war metaphor, is the Roman half boot that the soldiers would wear, right? I'm not going to bore you with all the details of exactly how that boot is broken down. I'm just going to give you the main point. The main point of the shoes that the Romans would wear on purpose were designed in a way to allow them to march long distances, but still have a solid stance, right? These weren't the comfy shoes that is that as soon as the terrain changes, they start sliding all over the place, right? Yesterday, I pulled up to my brother-in-law's house because, for the most part, everything has been, you know, dry for a few days. The sun has been melting up all the snow, and so things are dry. And so, and because I was having a lazy day, I'm in my slides, and I'm in my slides, and I'm walking up to my brother-in-law's house. But my brother-in-law did not do a very effective job, as neither did I, of clearing off his front step. And so now I'm in slides, and I'm stepping on ice, and I'm going to fall. So I decided I'm just not going to go up to his door today. I'm just going to call them and tell them to come to me because I know that my shoes are not built for this terrain. But these shoes 
But these shoes were built for any terrain. They were heavy on the bottom to be able to to walk across any terrain and not have your feet slide without limiting your mobility, right? They, They were specifically designed to have the Roman soldiers ready for any type of terrain that they were going to walk across. They had the shoes on their feet that could go into any circumstance that they were going to face. What the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to you is that the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be like that Roman half boot. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be what gives you your firm foundation. In other words, you need to practice in all circumstance, on a rainy day, on a sunny day, on a slippery, slidey day, or on a dirty day, you need to be able to practice being firm and a full dependency on the gospel of Jesus. Because a full dependency on the gospel of Jesus, unlike literally anything else, will never, ever let you slide or fall. What he's trying to communicate is that I'm sick of seeing my people tossed and turned by every little thing that happens in battle. I'm sick and tired of you struggling on Tuesday to make it to Wednesday only to struggle again on Thursday. And the entire time, once God sees you through Friday, you wonder if he'll see you to Sunday as if he didn't just make it this far. A full dependency on the gospel of Jesus. That is what Paul is looking for. Let me see, let me see if, I can, if I can help this in your mind. Once upon a time... This is a true story. I know it's going to be hard to believe. Um, but I, I worked for a construction company. And that thought was from me. And I discerned it away. Listen. So I worked for this construction company. To be more specific, I was uh, their field representative as it pertained to roofing jobs. And so my job was to go up on the roof and do the initial inspection of uh, customer's roof, right? To be able to, to, to decide what type of work needed to be done. How many sides? How many slopes? How steep are the slopes? Really, what's it going to cost, right? Um, and then, you know, work with the crews to get out there and do all that kind of stuff. But I'll, I'll never forget this. I, I was super, super unprepared for my training, right? See, this is what was communicated to me. What was communicated to me by the person who was doing my training was, where do you live at? I'll come pick you up and we'll do your training. I was like, all right, cool. He didn't say anything else, right? He didn't say what I needed to wear. He didn't say, he didn't say none of that kind of stuff. So I came out in what I was comfortable wearing. And until we pulled up to the first half and he house and he sets up the ladder, he looks at my feet and he goes, uh, you ain't about to go up there. I was like, what do you mean? I can climb a ladder, bro. Like I know I looked inexperienced and I mean, I am, but like I can climb a ladder. He's like, no, nah, you can't go up there. You can't handle that roof in those shoes. And I'm like, what? He's like, he's like, because here's the thing. I can already see from the ground looking up at the roof that 
right here and right here, you might be fine. But as we cross over onto that slope, that's a really steep slope. And those shoes are going to send you to the ground if you try to stand on that slope in those shoes. So I can't let you go up there. See, they used to have these, these special shoes. They at the very least needed to have rubber on the bottom. But real roofers have these special shoes. They used to be called gaiters, but this was a while ago. I don't know what they're called now. But they were called gaiters, and these shoes would allow you to go on a slope that was even pitched this steep. You could still walk on it even if it was that steep. So I needed the appropriate shoes to be able to go on every slope. Let me ask you this question. Are you able to stand firm on the gospel that saved you while walking through all types of slopes that you inevitably are going to face? Are there certain slopes where you're like, yeah, this is cool. I'm still a Christian and I love Jesus. But then there's other slopes that you get to and you're like, hmm. I don't know. If I say I love Jesus and I go out on faith on that slope, I might end up on the ground. So let me just let me just send somebody else. Right. Or help that the Lord just goes ahead and and uses somebody else. Right. Are you that firm in the gospel that no matter what the life circumstance you face, you are still sure that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. He was faithful to save you then. He's faithful to save you today and he's faithful to keep you for eternity. Are you that sure? Because I feel like what happens a lot of times is that we tend to get, to get less than sure, sure-footed in uncertain circumstances when things get a little steep or the terrain gets a little rocky, right? We tend to, to want the quick and easy fix, right? We tend to, to, to look for the other way out. We like, to, we like to look for solutions that our neighbors will affirm without actually consulting the Spirit. Or, or we, we try to make a firm stance and get firm footing on something that is not the gospel. I mean, how many... How many people do you know? We'll be real passive early because it's still point one. So we'll be real passive early. How many people do you know? Of course, not you, but other people. How many people do you know take a firm stance on things that aren't the gospel very blatantly in order to, 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 to portray certainty and strength? But in all reality, if you really want to set your feet on that foundation, you will fall at some point. That's if you want to find your firm foundation in a person who isn't Jesus, you're going to fall. If you want to find your firm foundation in a job and financial security, and that's not Jesus, you will fall. If you want to find your firm foundation in an athlete or a political party, you're going to fall hard and publicly. There is but one Firm foundation that can withstand any storm. Where are the things that you're standing on going to get you? When the circumstance is beyond your control. Because that's when we really find out, right? Is when we actually can't do anything about it. That's when we really find out. 
but the good news of Jesus Christ that I'm here to tell you this, this morning whoa, is that when all we have are questions, when all we have looking ahead is uncertainty, we still have reason to stand firm on the gospel. The Apostle Paul goes on, he says, sandal your feet with what? With readiness. With readiness. In other words, I need you to be prepared for anything. The devil ain't going to tip his hand to you. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we know the basic strategy that he's going to use. But his exact game plan, he's not going to reveal to you. And so, and so you need to be ready for anything. You need to assume that the enemy does not play within your rules. And so, yes, he will use even that person to get to you. Yeah, he will go even there to bother you. He will go to any, anything to cause chaos in your life. And so the only way to game plan for what the enemy in this world will inevitably throw at us is to be prepared for everything. I mentioned last week that my older brothers uh, were in the military. I remember one time my oldest brother, Sean, was telling me this story about uh, when he was in Korea. And when he was in Korea, he served on, on the border of North Korea and South Korea. Right. American troops occupied space there to to try to to try to neutralize the conflict that exists between North Korea and South Korea. And he said he said that there were seasons where it was so hostile that him and his platoon would literally go to sleep in their war clothes. They would go to sleep with their equipment still on with their rifle placed across their chest because if and when their enemy decided to attack, wasn't no time to get up and brush your teeth. Wasn't no time to comb your hair. Wasn't no time to look around for your weapon. It was time to go. I think of that and I think of how often and how many situations as believers were caught unprepared. We're caught not ready. We let our war clothes slip off of us. We let our readiness go by the wayside because we're chilling today. The devil ain't coming through today. Right? Or I'm real comfortable in this situation. I don't got no financial problems. Our relationship is cool. It's all good. And so we let it start slipping. We start to get comfortable and we think that that means success. Oh, I don't have time. But Paul instructs us to be ready as the shoes, as ready as the shoes are that are on your feet right now. I hope. Be ready. When I come up here, when I'm preparing for a sermon, there's a whole lot of time in prayer spent before I'm ready to stand up here. There's a whole lot of reading in a couple different languages, and some references, and some cross-checking I got to do. And then I got to go back to prayer. And then, the worst part for me, is then I got to, like, write something out in case I get up here and blank. 
The point being, there's a lot of preparation that has to go into before you're ready to proclaim the gospel in all circumstances. If you've got a meeting coming up, if you're trying to make a proposal, you're going into that knowing all of the answers or anticipating all of the answers that the other person you're meeting with is going to ask you. You spend time preparing. You put a nice presentation together. You don't go in there chilling, hoping to wing it, and then still think that that meeting's going to go well. You don't take a test at school hoping the answers you covered in youth group are going to get you through the exam. You don't spend time in studying. There's no amount of prayer that's going to work to make God supernaturally be like, you know what, you didn't put the work in. You know, you really didn't try. I know for a fact you haven't even bought the textbook for this class specifically. But you know what, let me just go ahead and pop that supernatural knowledge in your brain. It don't work like that. It's not God's fault that you failed your midterm. It's your preparation's fault. It ain't the professor either because Paul says it's not flesh and blood. Sorry, I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone. So the point being that we must do the spiritual things to prepare for spiritual battles. So what am I talking about? Let me offer just a couple to you. How about prayer and reading scripture? Two ways where God is always faithful to make himself known and has already made himself known is in scripture and in prayer. Spend time seeking God, asking him, what is it that you would have me do? How is it that you see me? What is it that is from you? How would you have me proceed? Spend time listening to God. And then it doesn't hurt to go ahead and cross what you think you hear, cross-reference it with Scripture. Because everything that God has ever said has already been said in the person of Jesus. So go ahead and check back there. I bet you'll find the answer. See, the enemy and life come at you fast, and you never quite know how it's going to hit. You never quite know what you're going to face. So the best advice Paul can give in this section is to just be ready. Stay prayed up. Stay in your word. Keep yourself surrounded with present company that you know when it's time to go to war, they going to be ready to go to war too. And then lastly, he says this. He says, respond with peace. Respond with peace, with shalom. Respond in a way that while the rest of the world and the people that you're having a hard time with are throwing everything at you, when they're calling you every name in the book. When they're bringing up stuff that they know you don't want them to speak on. Peace is still chilling in the Lord even in the face of all of that. When you get that final notice and then you check your bank account And it doesn't quite match up. Peace 
is still chilling in the Lord, not knowing how you're going to pay that bill. Peace is still believing that he's been coming through, that he's going to keep coming through. Even when I don't know how this is going to shake out. He says, respond with peace. Now, here's the thing about peace. Where else do we find peace in Scripture? Well, all over the place. But specifically, what I want to make reference to is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Let me say it another way. Peace is an evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Peace is a response that doesn't come most natural to any of us. And in the face of chaos, very, very few of us, nope, let me be more direct, none of us look at chaos and think, eh, it's all good. Not in right mind, right? Peace is a spiritual evidence. But what did we learn in week one? That when we accept the message of Jesus Christ and we accept our invitation to be adopted into the family of Jesus Christ, we're where? We're in the Lord. Which means all the fruits of the Spirit are accessible to us who have the Spirit. In other words, if you are a believer, you have access to peace. But if you're responding in a way that isn't peaceful, you're, not, you're choosing to not access that peace. God gives you peace. It's a fruit that is promised from the Spirit. If you don't have peace, it's because you are choosing, consciously or unconsciously, to not access the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you accessing the Lord's peace? Are you seeking Him In every situation, Pastor, what are you talking about? What does it mean to respond in peace, right? You don't know. You don't know the aggravated situations I've been facing. I could probably take a few guesses, right? But here's the thing. Responding in peace doesn't mean being a pacifist, right? That doesn't mean just letting the world trample you and hope that the Lord's going to paste you back together for eternity. Responding in peace can look differently, right? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, just earlier in this letter, he says, for he, meaning Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, first of all, he's saying, let your anxiety lead you back to a reliance on Christ. I know a lot of us in here are wrestling with anxiety and depression. It's real. Can nobody else tell you any different? It's real. But, and it's not, it's not simple to wrestle with depression and anxiety. It's not simple to have anxiety well up inside of you. But it might be sinful what you do with that anxiety. Depending on what the anxiety drives you towards, you might fall out of pocket. Right? Anxiety. Anxiety, I believe that the Lord can use anxiety to get you to practice a reliance on him and not to run back to whatever temporary thing will offer you temporary numbness or comfort or pleasure. 
And he says that in Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility, he's talking about between us and God, but also between man and man. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down in Jesus. Let me say it another way. Don't join in on the hostility. Can I say it one more way? Stop being a hater. Stop being a hater. Some of y'all out here posting on Facebook like people don't take their cues for what the church is like from your statuses. Stop being a hater. Some of y'all later on tonight will be more concerned about why OBJ was able to be successful in L.A. when he wasn't in Cleveland rather than having a response that is actually reflective of the kingdom. I'm talking about the Super Bowl. Some of y'all, you know. Nobody cares. Stop it. When people see you being a hater, it is a very short leap for them to assume that's what people in the church are like. If I see you hating on an athlete that you don't even know, what's going to stop me from thinking that you say crazy stuff about me when I'm not around and you do know me? Stop it, bruh. Respond in peace. And listen, I don't want you scrolling back through my Twitter history either. I know it's there. I'm talking about myself, but leave it alone. Three verses later in Ephesians 2, 17, the apostle Paul says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. What peace has to look like sometimes is sometimes you got to say it. Sometimes you got to preach the good news. Sometimes when people are really far off, you got to tell them about the hope that's in Jesus. And that's what a peaceful response looks like. Well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, and I don't know how he feels, and I, don't, I want to respect his journey. Sometimes you need to tell him about the peace that can only be found in Jesus Christ. But then he also says, and, and, and hey, self-righteous ones, he also preached it to those of you who were near. Sometimes you need to tell your brother and sister, bro, you be tripping. Get back to what Jesus has called you to do. Sometimes a peaceful response is genuinely telling them that. Sometimes responding with peace is letting them know, I see you out here out of pocket. I know you know better. And so let's get back to it. <laughs> Paul says about the same thing in a different letter to Colossians. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In other words, it requires you to speak up, but not in a way that everybody else is speaking up. Peace requires you to speak up, but speak up graciously. But also seasoned with just a little bit of salt that makes people be like, hmm, what's that? I know some of you are more familiar with seasoning salt than others, so let me break it down to you. I should leave it alone? 
Sometimes, sometimes you got to respond in a way that's not going to punch somebody over the head with it, but it's going to make them reflect for a while as they chew on it. Like, what's that answer been marinating in? Right? That, that answer was, was, was prepared for days in prayer. Right? That's been sitting in something for, for way longer than I brought it up. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Be prepared. No, I, got, I don't got time. I got to move. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 3, we don't like this one. It says, we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. By any means necessary, actually. As far as it pertains to you, adhere to unity in the body of Christ. What are you saying? Are you going where I think you're going? I am. Sometimes responding in peace means you got to work towards reconciliation. Sometimes responding in peace doesn't mean you got to worry about who's right and who's wrong. But what's going to get us back harmoniously in the body that we all, that Jesus died for all of us to be a part of. Sometimes we just lack a little bit of empathy in that regard, don't we? Sometimes we feed into that division a little bit too much, right? I never understood why our responses as believers especially lack such empathy. You know, it's crazy. When I was real little, my grandfather died. That was my buddy, man. Like, I love my grandfather. And he died young, early 60s. Like, that's young. And when people at his funeral were comforting me, they would tell me all of the great things about him, and they would tell me how it was going to be okay. And you know what not one of them mentioned? The fact that he was a smoker his whole life. Right? You know what wasn't the appropriate response at the funeral? Well, he was a smoker, you know, and, you know, maybe you should have done something about the smoking to help the smokers. If you would have helped the smoking to help the smoker, maybe we wouldn't have been in the, been in the position that we were in because, you know, smoking is bad. Like, smoking gets you places. Smoking, ain't nobody care about that. That was not the appropriate response. Sometimes responding with peace means leading with empathy. Hearing out what people are going through, but with a purpose, right? So that you can work towards reconciliation. So that there can be betterment in the body. And, but for some reason, in the last six years especially, We've lost that as believers. We're so willing to let disagreements split us up, divide us, to the point that now our church names have gotten way too long. Well, what kind of church do you go to? Well, I go to a uh, 18 minutes later you still say in the title so that anybody from the outside can get a full picture of what you believe theologically as opposed to what other people believe. That's why I love it when people just call this place Third Street. You don't even know. Like You're just like, yeah, what is it? I don't know, it's Third Street. You know what I'm saying? 
You're laughing that hard because you've done it. Listen. We've lost it. We've lost it. We've taken more seriously and held higher up the passages that say, turn them over to their enemies. Then we do the passages where the same author, by the way, says, by any means necessary, adhere to unity. Fight for your brother. Pray for your sister. Work it out. When people see the way that you respond, do they see the kingdom? When people see the way that you respond, whether on social media, whether at family gatherings, whether in person on on whatever, when when they hear the way that you talk, when they see the way that that you move, when you're showing them for real, for real who you are, do they see the kingdom? Because if if they do, it'll just come with peace. You ever wrestle with a decision and then you finally came to one and you just like, you just knew it was okay? That's peace. When people see the way that you act, the way that you talk, the way that you handle business, do they feel that same peace? Church, I want us to have firm footing. I don't want none of us to get shook. And I mean that both ways. I don't pray that for anybody. I'll watch the video back, though. Sorry. I almost played one for you because we have one that happened, like, right over there. But some of y'all might recognize the person, so I didn't do it. But I want you to have firm footing. The only thing in our lives, the only thing in this universe that's built for all terrain is the gospel. I want us to stay ready. I promise you, looking back at my week this last week, (laughs) I didn't see any of that stuff coming. We have to stay ready. Stay in our word. Stay in prayer. Stay connected to other believers that are also trying to stay ready. And please, in Jesus' name, whether it's the interaction with your waiter or waitress at lunch today, Super Bowl later tonight, or the stress that inevitably comes your way Monday morning, please respond with peace. Ask the Lord what it will take to respond with peace. And this is why. It's because our prayer should be that all people find the peace that keeps you firm, and takes you far. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the equipment that you have designed for us to take up. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us to experience these spiritual battles on our own, but that you wrap us in your grace you give us what we need to survive, to keep going, to win, and to see eternity. 
God, we pray for forgiveness in all the areas that our fears, our worries, our anxieties have caused us to have happy feet, to start running around, looking for solutions. We pray for forgiveness for not standing firm. But Lord, we praise you for the grace that you provided for us that guarantees we will walk again. God, I pray that your spirit would lead us through the tough paths that we're all walking through. Lord, I pray that while we look around in our circumstance and we're not sure of much of anything, I pray that we will stay sure of you. I pray that we don't let the things thrown our way discourage us and take us off the path that you have us on, but that your spirit would remind us to stay ready, to stay in it, to keep on looking. God, I pray that the way we handle our trials, that the way we walk confidently through the battles will determine faith for many. I pray that when people see the ways that you keep us through the tough roads, that it would lead them not to think much of us, but to seek the peace that comes from you. Lord, show us how you would have us respond. Lead us into peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, what's up?